Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Spring is in full bloom. Are your finances? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, you can build credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments, all with no annual fees or interest. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at chime.com build. That's chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA. Members FDIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. And we are live here on the MMA Industry Podcast, March 22nd edition. I am, of course, James Lynch, your host. And today I have a very special guest, a guy I've known for a very long time and I've met multiple times. He's just a great dude. And I'm so happy to have him here on the program. It is Chamakar Sandu joining us here on the program. Chamakar, how are you? I'm very well, James. Uh, in just a matter of months, uh, I guess I'll be calling you a neighbor when I move to yes. Toronto, right? Yes, that's awesome. And uh, congrats on that. I know that was a long time coming, uh, you getting, uh, you know, to, to move uh, to Canada in, in Toronto uh, specifically. So that that's interesting. Um, how long has that process been? Because I know uh, you've been trying since basically since I met you, which was a couple of years ago. Yeah, so it's funny. It shouldn't take any, well, okay, let me kind of backtrack a little bit. The sure. way my entry into Canada is through my wife. She's Canadian. She's born and raised in Toronto. And um, usually when you kind of go through a spousal visa or an immigration process, you know, through a spouse, it should approximately take maybe a year to 18 months or something in that ballpark. Now, what happened was we'd started the process, but then you guys in Canada had the election year when Trudeau okay. came into power. And what happens is when there's an election year, everything gets frozen because who knows if the incoming prime minister may have a different view on immigration and how many, I suppose, um, visas and you know, uh, folks are allowed entry into the country through different various uh, immigration programs. So it got frozen. And then once he came into power and we kind of, I suppose, restarted that process, then they came back to us and said, well, um, this has been frozen now for a, a period of longer than 12 months. You've got to start from scratch again. So that was fun. So I had to go through my medicals, my x-rays, uh, the, the copious amounts of paperwork and information you have to provide, which in, in a sense is good because obviously you want immigration um, anywhere in the world uh, to be as you know, tight-knit as possible. Uh, but at the same time, for the applicant, it, it can be a bit of a pain in the ass, as we say in England. Um, but fortunately enough, um, very recently, um, in November of last year, I've done my what's, what's called a landing process where you've officially been granted uh, entry into the country under uh, a spousal visa and you actually have to enter the country and then go to the airport um, and meet with the immigration officer and go through the whole process. So I ended up staying in Toronto for about three months uh, from like November till like late February, which is good because I was able to actually then um, jump on the back of a few opportunities to cover like I think four or five UFC pay-per-views, you know, and Fox cards back to back to back, which is great. Um, but during that three month period, I've got everything sorted. So I've got my permanent resident card. I've got my SIN number. I've got my health card. I've got my driver's license. I, I already had a bank account and credit card. So literally I am so on the grid in Canada. Um, I can literally, you know, move there today if I wanted to live and work there. Absolutely no problems. Um, it's just here in London, um, we're committed to this flat that we're living in uh, until October. Uh, so okay. we're already kind of financially committed there. And so we thought, OK, look, let's just see this contract out. Uh, we can't sublet it. Um, and that way we can kind of continue to save some more pounds and then make the official permanent relocation uh, in October. Uh, and so that's the kind of time frame for when I'm going to be uh, arriving and hopefully living the rest of my days there. 
Awesome. Yeah, no, and uh, congrats again. I know it's a, a lot of a process as you explained there. So it's, it's good to see that it uh, finally worked out. Um, I didn't even really introduce you off the top. Of course, you're doing some great work over there on uh, MMA Junkie and uh, MMA India as well. Um, you know, people, anyone watching this knows you from social media, you've really created a great following. And we're sort of going to talk about that as far as the journey of what led you to where you are today. Um, but I always start the show off with how uh, my guest and I have met and uh, you and I actually met I want, I'm pretty sure this was it. I could be wrong. UFC 196. Did we not meet? We had drinks at, at Hooters. Actually, pro, well, face-to-face, um, I think it was 196. But I think yeah. a few years back, it may have even been... Well, I had you on the podcast. Now, you know what's interesting yes. story about that? The first time we had you on the podcast, I had my engagement party that night. So right, I had to, if you, if you remember, Adam was at the engagement party as well. So he yes. did the interview with you, but I couldn't because I had to go like host the party. It was just like bad timing. And I know because of the time change, we couldn't get you on. So I think you just did that with Adam. But I remember like getting on the, the tail end or something. Does this ring a bell at all? It does. Um, and I believe if I'm not mistaken, that was the Dublin card. It was yes. Brandau. Yep. Um, and that was such a, and again, we maybe talk about this a little bit later on. It's funny because I was just recently talking about that particular night um, with Abby and a few of the friends, because obviously we've got Liverpool coming up and everyone is starting to think this could be kind of Dublin 2.0. And I remember that night very vividly because at the time, me and uh, one of the best videographers and editors in the game, Abby Sultan, who works for MMA Junkie, uh, we had our own YouTube channel, Kamikaze TV at that time. And one of the things that we loved to do was almost get the, the, the immediate, you know, quick 30-second, one-minute uh, takes from the media members post-event. And at the time, everybody had kind of congregated into the Fighters Host Hotel in the kind of lobby area where the bar was. And there I was kind of going around just getting like a, a quick take with everybody. And it's great to kind of re-watch that because everybody, A, looks a little bit younger. Um, but B, it's, it's great to kind of almost have a time capsule because that was a special night uh, in our sport, especially in the UFC's uh, history. Um, and for those of us that were there, we kind of, you know, think about it and talk about it very fondly. But I remember that night because once I finished that, I was kind of liaising with you and Adam to figure out when I can jump on the podcast to kind of recap that particular show. So that's always a night that you know, sticks in my mind very vividly. You just came off uh, UFC London this past week. We'll talk a little bit about it because obviously there's so much I want to talk to you about your career because I, I think it's very interesting sort of the path you've gone on. But uh, how is the event and how does it sort of work with work? You should probably mention your day job too because you've been, uh, I know you, you're like most in this industry where you have a full-time job and are doing this on the side. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, from day one, uh, covering MMA or being a journalist or being a part of the MMA media has never been a full time gig for me. I think ultimately, ultimately, that is the goal for me. Uh, but I have to be, you know, uh, responsible with regards to. Look, I'm a, I'm in my mid thirties. I have a wife. We're financially planning. I'm not someone that's a teenager or in my early twenties where perhaps my financial responsibilities are a little bit different. Um, so, you know, I have a great day job. Uh, I'm a digital sales manager for a company that works within the data and analytics space. It's actually this new job that I kind of moved into just you know, about what, six months ago has been a breath of fresh air for me because I'm not office bound anymore. Uh, previously and over the years, you know, um, being office bound meant that I, it was very tricky to, to, to take the time off work, whether it be a few hours, if there was a, an interview opportunity locally here in London, um, or perhaps take unpaid leave, uh, or perhaps even, you know, use some of your holiday allowance to go out and cover perhaps a European event over, you know, three day period or a four day period or whatever, you know, it, it took. Um, and so it's, it's been, it's always been a bit of a, a difficult, you know, uh, juggling act or a balancing act but this new situation that I'm in changes everything for me personally because like I said I can work remotely anywhere in the world which means I can be um, in Liverpool in a few months and I can still clock in the hours for the day job and still you know attend to my duties um, as a member of the media interviewing fighters covering weigh-ins um, and covering whatever the media obligations I have uh, to attend to um, so it's a great job. It pays me really, really well. It's not something that I think I'm going to quit anytime soon, unless, of course, I get that dream job um, for the right amount of revenue where I can be like, OK, you know what? This is a great opportunity for me to, you know, to, to you know, I can't turn it down. Uh, and, it, and, it's, and it's enough money there where I can pay the bills, pay the mortgage and, and financially plan for the future. Um, so that's the kind of situation I'm in. And, and, I'm, and I'm really happy and comfortable with it. Um, I'm still able to contribute as a member of the media 
Um, and, and again, going back to the whole Toronto situation, I think that's going to be a game changer for me. I think, I think when I get to Toronto, based upon the experience I had between November and February, um, it's going to be a bit of a game changer in terms of how many more, how, you know, how many events I can get to, um, you know, how much it costs the media outlet to get me to these events. Because obviously, being London-based, being European-based, you know, based, it's you know a tall order or a big ask for a company to to fork out maybe a thousand pounds, maybe a few thousand pounds just to fly me over and to um, pay for the accommodation and other expenses. Whereas, you know, like while I was in Toronto, Detroit, four hour drive, you know, Boston, eight hour drive, New York and that whole area, Philadelphia, these are all eight hour drives. So it it makes better economic sense um, for a lot of outlets. And I've already spoken to a few outlets uh, about opportunities for when I do arrive eventually in Toronto. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, but yeah, that's my situation right now. Uh, and I'm very comfortable and at peace with it. Um, and and, it, and it's a good situation for me right now, yeah. No, I bet. And and that's the thing. I was sort of doing the same thing. I was working in digital media and uh, doing this on the side. And then I had to make a choice. I've said this many times here on the show. You know, I became a dad. And so, you know, being a dad, you got to dedicate the time. So I had to make the choice. Am I going to stop doing this or am I going to go full force in this? And I jumped off the cliff and I'm still doing it. So it's uh, it's still it's it's worked. You know, it's for some people it might not. But for me, it works great. And it's uh, it's good to be able to kind of pick my hours and, you know, get interviews when I want. Like I had a situation yesterday. I was just saying this to my wife, you know, Brandon Gertz uh, is now fighting Michael Chandler. I know Brandon quite well, got the interview with him like within minutes. If I had a day job, I couldn't have done that. So it's nice to have that freedom to sort of be able to, you know, pick and choose my, my times and everything. But uh, let's talk about UFC London. Um, we just had that last week, a great event, a lot of upsets, a lot of uh, big things going on. How did this event, you know, from a media's perspective compared to some of the other events you, you covered? I mean, you've covered the, the biggest of the big, but um, how was it overall from a media's perspective? Yeah, I always like to cover, you know, or kind of compare London to previous London events. It's, it's unfair to compare a London event to a Vegas event or to a Stockholm event or to a Toronto event. In terms of the overall amount of media, it was a little bit quieter this year compared to previous years. And, you know, of course, you know, I think the peak in terms of the London event was Anson Silva versus Michael Bisping. I, I'd never seen. Actually, the only thing I can compare that particular event's media turnout to was a big circus event in uh, in, in in Vegas or something like that. So a little bit quieter. All of the usual suspects were there, you know, the, the traveling circus and all of my European friends from uh, Sweden and, 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 the, and the Netherlands and Ireland. Everybody was there. In terms of the mainstream media, it was a, a little bit uh, on the quieter side. Uh, but again, this wasn't the sexiest card in the world. We didn't have a, a Michael Bisping um, headlining the card. We didn't have a Darren Till headlining the card. Um, of course, because Jimmy Manuel was coming off a loss, it kind of put him in a tricky situation. Perhaps the UFC matchmakers to put him in a in a in a headline spot. Had he been coming off, you know, you know, a win, maybe perhaps he would have headlined the card like he did 12 months ago. Um, but you know, it's kind of funny because this was a fight path card, right? So I guess if you're a fight path subscriber, you're already committed to the the monthly fee, so you were going to get this show for free anyway. Right. And I guess for you, for, the, for you guys in North America, it, 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 I think this was a, a nice one because, you know, you could watch it in the middle of the day and you still get a Saturday evening or, or a Saturday night out. Right. Yeah. I of love course, it. I, I do. Yeah, I, I bet you do. Now, of course, I do agree with the sentiment of you need big fights. You need compelling stories to be able to attract, you know, a wider audience and get those kind of casual fans interested. So do I think this event, you know, um, brought in a whole fresh batch of, you know, Fight Plus subscribers? Probably not. Um, How it did on BT Sport, which was the main card in the UK uh, and Ireland, it aired on BT Sport. I don't know. They they don't really release the the, the viewing figures or the ratings for that. Um, But in terms of the actual action on the night, it was great. You know, we saw, you know, it's funny because... With what happened with Paul Craig and Leon Edwards both, you know, finishing their fights at you know four minutes and fifty nine seconds of the third round, I kind of compared it to a London bus. We have a saying here in London: is you wait for a bus for ages and then two come along at once, right? So that was fun. Uh, obviously, we got a whole range of finishes. Uh, my best or my favorite takeaway from the entire event, both in the build up to the event and on fight night, was Leon Edwards. I thought. All throughout fight week, he was an absolute revelation. He just started to to turn up the volume on his personality. And if you could take a step back for a second, who was the one guy 
throughout the entire week that got the most attention, got the most amount of headlines. It was Darren Till. And it was a very smart move for Leon Edwards to, to call out Darren Till for that Liverpool show. And I don't think it's out of this world that that may be a possibility. Given, you know, where we are with Stephen Thompson and Jorge Masvidal and some other guys uh, that Darren Till would like to hopefully fight in that card, um, I think Leon Edwards is, uh, has, a, has a very good chance um, so we'll see how this whole thing develops. But I thought, uh, for, for me, his whole profile, his whole stock um, rose uh, tremendously. Um, and he's now starting to become one of those guys that everyone's starting to pay attention to, specifically in that welterweight division. Yeah, I think this was a great card to sort of showcase, uh, you know, the UK talent that's there. And there was a lot of good finishes. And you mentioned Edwards. I was going to actually bring him up because I thought he really stole the show, um, you know, the, as far as, you know, his performance and, you know, him calling out Till. And and I really think this is the fight to do. I mean, what, who would you give Till now at this point? Because they just announced, I don't know if you just saw now, uh, it looks like Rafael Dos Anjos is fighting Colby Covington for an interim welterweight title. So who knows what's happening out with the rest of these fighters. But um, I, I think, you know, you do a fight like this between Edwards and Till. And then whoever wins, you know, they're going to be sort of the next big thing. Uh, is that like how do you sort of view that matchup well first of all i did not see that announcement okay Uh, (laughs) spoiler alert spoiler alert that is incredible that we are now going to have yet another interim title i know um jesus christ okay apparently it's in brazil at ufc 224 and here's the other interesting thing do they put that as the main event or did they put nunez and pennington as the main it's interesting i don't know they haven't said chris taylor bj penn was the guy who uh reported it and he's usually pretty good about this stuff yeah, he is. Um, wow. Okay, so we're going to get Covington versus RDA for the interim title. Okay, well, that's very <laughs> interesting because, you know, I think Stephen Thompson and Jorge Masvidal had already kind of ruled themselves out. I guess that does leave Leon Edwards. I mean, I know a few fans, yeah. have kind of, you know, uh, threw out Gunny Nelson, um, but I don't think he has the right momentum coming into this card. I think, I think Leon Edwards has got all of the momentum here. Call it the Battle of Britain, call it what you want. Um, and the clock is ticking. Now, the interesting thing about going out to the market and saying we're going to have an event in Liverpool and it's definitely going to be Darren Till in the main event. Right. Well, you haven't secured an opponent for him. So where are you in the negotiation side of things in getting that deal done? And who has the stroke? Who has the power in this back and forth? Um, Well, well, now I'm more confident than ever that I think the move is Leon Edwards and and I've got a feeling that they're going to do it. Yeah, I love that fight either way. And I mean, anyone you put against Darren Till is going to be a good matchup. But that specifically, I just think it's good because, uh, you know, it really seems like they're they're putting the focus on some of these uh, UK stars and trying to build guys up. And I, I think that's what you need to do. Wish they do that a little bit more in Canada. We don't even have an event right now. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, that's a topic for another day. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a great card. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, it seems like London's a good destination. And that Liverpool card, I think it was a good segue to the Liverpool card as far as uh, what people got to see talent-wise. Um, let's talk about you, though. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Uh, you have a very interesting story. Um, I understand it's for, as far as your first sort of brush with, with combat sports and everything, you were actually a pro wrestling fan growing up, were you not? Yeah, so I kind of graduated into being a fan of MMA through pro wrestling. I've been a pro wrestling fan uh, since I, uh, I was a baby. Um, and I was kind of always aware and familiar of MMA from a distance, um, especially kind of like guys like Vandalay Silva and Rampage uh, in Pride. Kind of just seeing clips um, in the early stages of the internet. I think this is before YouTube even. Um, but I hadn't kind of, you know, I hadn't crossed over to the point where I was buying DVDs and kind of really kind of hardcore watching. I, I'm not going to go out and say I was there from like UFC one. I was a hardcore fan from, from, from the get. That's not the case whatsoever. It took a while. Gradually, obviously, I was aware of kind of the, the big names like Tito Ortiz and, and Randy Couture and Chuck Liddell. And then I'd, I'd kind of watch a few fights here and there, watch a few events here and there. But I think the ultimate kind of commitment came when the UFC signed Brock Lesnar. And I was like, right, OK. Just as, just as a pro wrestling fan, I have to pay attention now. And then once I started watching um, events, um, you know, more consistently back to back, which was a little bit easier in those days because there wasn't an, an event on every single weekend um, and started following um, other members of the media, uh, starting reading um, pre-fight interviews and just kind of engrossing in all of these stories um, and, and news items coming from the fighters and from these events. Um, I was hooked. And once you're hooked, it's kind of, it kind of you know, holds on to you and uh, I haven't looked back ever since. So I was a fan for a very long time. And then uh, I think it was about seven or eight years ago now. It's been a while. Um, I just decided one day to, hey, look, you know, I can start my own blog. Um, uh, And I just kind of created uh, a WordPress account and I started a blog and I just started writing an article a day on my lunch break. 
um, and it would be either a preview or a hot take or a column or just anything that came to mind. And, and my blog was called MMA IMO. So it was mixed martial arts, in my opinion. That was it. Very simple. And so I did that for a while. And then I actually got picked up by a few UK based outlets. I don't know if MMA Mount is still around, but I, I, I used to do some work for them, covered a few events. And then uh, there's a, a site, I don't know if they're a website or just a social media platform, but MMA UK, uh, they reached out to me and they said, hey, we'd love for you to just, you know, um, you know, report on the sport as best as you can, but through our social media feeds, so Twitter and Facebook. So I was kind of dabbling in a bit of that. And then essentially about a year to 18 months down the road into that journey, I just thought to myself, okay, what's going on in the world right now? And what I was seeing on, on a daily basis on my commute to work was people letting go of the newspaper, putting that down, and then starting to watch or listen to their content um, or news or whatever they were consuming. So I thought, right, okay, I'm just gonna stop writing altogether and I'm gonna completely focus all my energy and effort into video content. Now, why video content? Well, I actually have a degree in film studies and for approximately seven years, me and a, and a bunch of my friends here in London, we had our own film production company. So we used to produce music videos, behind the scenes vlogs, documentaries, um, short films, um, and, and it was good experience. Uh, my kind of role within that team was a producer, a writer, an assistant director. I was never the technical guy, you know, like, I, I, could, I could never kind of really operate a camera properly or I was never really great um, in, in using an editing suite uh, or some sort of editing software to kind of piece everything together. Um, but I was good at kind of like, you know, producing and coordinating and conceptualizing whatever, you know, piece we were trying to put together. So I had that skill set with me. So I thought, okay, I'm going to get into video content. That's when I um, called up uh, my good friend, Abby Subban. We both grew up uh, in West London in a town called Southall. Um, he's a few years older than me, but we always had a, a common you know, uh, bond in regards to growing up in the same area. We were friends. Uh, we both had uh, a background in terms of film and media studies and, and you know, film production at college and university. So I just kind of rang him up one day and I said, hey, what are you doing with that degree? And he hadn't touched it, <laughs> like all the skill set that he had learned. Uh, he hadn't actually utilized it. And I said, hey, look, this is what I'm planning on doing. I want to just start producing video content in MMA. Are you interested in joining me on this journey? And, and God bless him. He was down for it. And, you know, he made his own investment into uh, a Mac and all the tools that he needed. And then, and then together we made our investments into everything that we needed, tripod and camera equipment, audio equipment, XLR cables and all, everything else that you would need to produce video content. And so then that's it. We started on our journey. We, uh, we launched Kamikaze uh, TV, which was our YouTube channel. And we started to cover initially Bama and Cage Warriors events. And then we moved over into uh, getting credentials for UFC events. And at the time, I actually think it might even still be relevant today uh, with what I've seen going on uh, during a typical fight week. What I, So people need to understand, if you're a European-based member of the media here, in terms of the big show coming into town, which at the time was always the UFC, now we've got kind of Bellator that are coming in, into the, the European territory quite often as well. But during you know that period of time, it was just the UFC. Now, the UFC was coming to Europe for around five times a year. So that's five times a year you've got an opportunity to really get some marquee names in the sport, get some really awesome content uh, that's going to really generate uh, the most amount of views and engagement numbers and hopefully uh, as a domino effect, get you more subscribers because that's how YouTube works. More subscribers, more views, more money, right? Mm -hmm. So what I was noticing uh, after a few events was, you know, the entire horde of MMA media from, from Europe were pretty much doing the exact same thing. They were all pointing their camera um, at the subject, asking the exact same question, and it was all in relation to fight week, right? Yeah. So I sat down with Abby and I said, look, the only way we're gonna stand out um, and the only way we're gonna be able to generate content in between uh, these five UFC fight weeks we have in a year is if we have content that we can roll out in between. So we made a decision to, when we had the opportunity to cover a UFC event, and, and get access to these fighters. I would not ask them and we would not conceptualize any content whatsoever to fight week at all. That was our number one rule. 
So instead, we would produce content that would be, I didn't know the term at the time, but it would be, you know, come to, no, come to be known as evergreen content or content we can roll out any time of year. So it would be stuff like asking their favorite fighters of all time, their favorite event of all time, um, you know, getting them to predict the next seven UFC main events in a, in, in a row. Um, I remember once, um, I think it was uh, up, in, up until the buildup of Batman versus Superman, me being a film buff that I am, I, um, we, and, we, and we, you know, we, we were obviously kind of you know, banking and saving all this content for like a year. Um, we'd ask, we'd ask like various fighters who would win um, uh, in a contest if Batman and Superman got it on in the octagon, right? <laughs> so I found a bit of content. What happened was we ended up having so many great marquee names answer that question in a fun way over the course of a year that we actually packaged that together later on when we started working for MMA Junkie. And then we released it the week that Batman and Superman got global release in the cinemas, right? So yeah. the engagement numbers were through the roof. And again, it's just all thinking about the concept, the video, and working backwards from there and what makes sense. So what happened was, for our YouTube channel, we had you know some great franchises and we'd be releasing video content week by week by week by week. So while our competitors here in Europe would have their fight week content, and then it'll be just you know silence for a couple of months until the UFC rolled back into town. We'd be consistently churning out a video a week, a video a week. Um, and after a period of say a year to eighteen months, we started getting work from now, the now defunct Zoo Magazine, which is basically uh, a men's magazine here in, in the UK. So uh, we produce some content for them. Uh, but ultimately, it was uh, MMA Junkie that came calling, and it was John Morgan that was basically seeing me and Abby hustle behind the scenes and produce this content. Uh, and I remember vividly, it was uh, a Stockholm event that we had a sit down conversation about potentially um, coming on board and working for MMA Junkie. And that's exactly what we did. And then moving forward, uh, we started to work with MMA Junkie, both in the European circuit. Um, I was fortunate enough to kind of to come out to a few big you know, US, you know, US pay-per-views uh, once, twice a year. Uh, and now, um, fast forward to 2018, um, you know, Abby's skill set is much more valuable right now to, to MMA Junkie and a lot of outlets in terms of being a, a videographer and an editor. And he's actually a full-time member of MMA Junkie. So, so I, I would imagine, I would say anything between say 50 to 60% of the video content that you see on MMA Junkie has been sliced together and pieced together by Abby. And, yeah. you know, I'm such a big fan of his work, you know, and I'm not just saying that because I'm his friend or that we came up together, but I genuinely feel. And here's a guy that when we first started, didn't know how to use any editing software whatsoever. He's self-taught. <laughs> no he way. Bought, he bought a Mac, watched some YouTube tutorials and just grinded and hustled and clocked in the reps and clocked in the hours. He is completely self-taught. So I have nothing but the utmost respect for him. And, um, and, and, the, and, you know, the quality of the content and the videos are evident in what you see on MMA Junkie today. Um, so we've been working with MMA Junkie. And, and on, on my side, it worked out great because, you know, MMA Junkie, it doesn't get any bigger than that. In terms of having my name associated with content on MMA Junkie, whether it's um, articles or video content or a podcast, whatever the case may be, it's a blessing. It really is because it kind of really rose, you know, raised my you know, profile um, as a, as a, I suppose, you know, a valued or respected member of the, the media covering the sport. And then off the back of that, I was able to get a few more gigs over the last couple of years. I remember for a few months, I contributed to Flow Combat. Um, I had a six month contract with Fighters Only, uh, which was unfortunate how that ended because, you know, you know the, the, the print magazine is pretty much now defunct. And I guess, you know, things haven't, didn't really work out in terms of uh, the dot com for Fighters Only. And there was a lot of layoffs there, which kind of, I knew the, the writing was on the wall for me when they had a lot of layoffs. Um, and so, and yeah, and here we are, you know, I'm still contributing to MMA Junkie in the last six months. I've also now started to contribute to MMA India, which is a very interesting situation because obviously I've got an Indian background. I'm British, but my parents from India and uh, MMA India, just to give you guys some background on them, self-financed by um, a, a Bollywood producer slash businessman uh, by the name of Parvin Dabas, who essentially just is a big fan of MMA and noticed that there was basically a gap in the market for a, an Indian outlet for you know an Indian fan base in terms of rolling out content in that particular time zone 
And so, um, you know, he reached out to me and I've been covering, you know, a handful of events for them, specifically just video content, social media, Twitter and YouTube and uh, Facebook lives and things of that nature. Um, and so that's very interesting as well, because I think, you know, the good thing that he did was he locked down the domain name, first of all. I mean, to get MMAindia.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Well done. Fantastic. Because, you know, if you're a, a fan of uh, mixed martial arts or the UFC or Bellator or any MMA in India, and you just type in the two words MMA in India, that website comes right to the top of that search engine. Um, so and I think they're developing quite nicely for MMA India. I think a lot of the content, especially video content, that they have uh, exclusive IP over, whether it be a body or somebody actually a videographer covering an event. It's now being repurposed by some of the broadcast partners of both the UFC and Bellator because the broadcast partners of Bellator and the UFC in India don't have the budget or the resources to send somebody out to all of these events and get their own coverage and get their own exclusive video content. So what they're doing, uh, you know, as a domino effect is amplifying the content that we're creating on their platform. So it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, and it's been it's been cool to see you uh, you know work for them as well and, and have another outlet and uh, they've been doing some great things. I've been on their show before. Uh, they, they do the MMA India show every once in a while, so that was uh, that was cool p- to be a part of that. Um, there's so much to talk about here that we sort of unpack. First off, I got to talk about Abby as well because I'm a big fan of his work and uh, you know him and Ken Hathaway do some just some amazing work behind the scenes for MMA Junkie. And I know Esther and Casey get a lot of credit at MMA Fighting and they absolutely do an outstanding job. But Abby's got to get some more uh, credit in my opinion because he, he does some great work with the uh, you know he does all. Mike Bond's, uh, you know, uh, pre-fight facts videos, and he does all the stuff that he packages together uh, for the site. So it's good to see him sort of do a lot of work. I got to ask you, though, you know, going to MMA India uh, and doing content for them, not having Abby as sort of the camera guy, how was that as far as, you know, you having to do everything as opposed to just, uh, you know, focusing on the questions? Because I know it can be difficult at times. Yeah, well, fortunately for me, a lot of what I'm doing right now is live streaming. So it's simply hitting, you know, a start and a stop button. (laughs) <laughs> right yeah. um and as much as I, I enjoy being on camera talent and actually having a dedicated videographer with me yes standing behind a camera and a tripod can be challenging because i feel like you do lose a bit of that chemistry and that connection to the subject in terms of how you're able to interview them um but hey listen it's a gig and when you're freelancing in this game um you'll tend to take you know as many gigs as you can get um of course i'd love to work with abby now look Abby is doing great for himself. He's obviously working for MMA Junkie, but he's also, a lot of folks may not know this, he's also uh, contracted by the MacLife. So what you've got a situation here is, 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 you know, MMA Junkie have employed Abby for the European market. And so he's definitely working for them on, on all the European events. Um, and he's still, I suppose, the outsourced guy in terms of, again, being on monthly salary. He's still producing and editing content that John or Matt Erickson or Mike may send from North America. And he just takes that video footage from the cloud, chops it all together, and then throws it onto the website. Uh, but in terms of being the on-the-ground, on-site guy at pay-per-views, you're going to start to see Abby a lot more um, at the U.S. pay-per-views moving forward, uh, representing the Mac Life. Um, they've obviously got you know a, a lot of budget. You know when you have Conor McGregor um, as your kind of I suppose 
uh, patron, <laughs> if that's a, right. a good word to describe him in terms of what he means to that particular site. Um, and yeah, so good for him. And uh, I'd love to work with him more. But I also, you know, want to make sure that I still have the opportunity to bring on board a videographer with me um, that has a dedicated skill set. Um, I think it's great for, for anyone. And I think the trend is going in the direction where a lot of outlets want to see reporters and journalists be able to do everything, you know, um, shoot, edit, do uh, audio content, video content, write, transcribe, you know, get meet a deadline, all the uh, social media, right? Um, and where I think that's that's cool, and I think that's you know um, important, I still think there's value in having roles dedicated in certain areas because I think when you're able to you know, come together as a team, um, the overall quality of your coverage and the overall quality of your, quant uh, your content just increases tenfold, um, and you can do things a, a lot more efficiently. But it's the industry at the moment, not just MMA. I think the the, the overall media landscape, sports, and you know political news, you know whatever. Um, industry you, you want to kind of uh, look at you know it's interesting times right now where budgets are decreasing um, and you know individuals have a lot more responsibilities on their shoulders um, without the actual windfall of uh, an increased pay it is what it is um, so and, and it's interesting to see how things are going to change over the course of the next couple of years um, with the uh, the introduction of 5g uh, network for everybody because pretty soon when it comes to live streaming Anything to do with the lag, anything to do with um, a signal not being re you know, received or retrieved properly, that's going to be a thing of the past. Um, so I'm really interested to see how live video content progresses in the next couple of years in, from a personal standpoint. And, and you've referenced sort of being your own brand, uh, you know, talking about being with MMA India and doing, you know, things by yourself. Uh, one of the ways you've really established a brand is on social media. Um, you're one of the few guys that has just an enormous social media presence. I mean, I'm looking at your account here. You've got almost 30,000 followers. That is extremely impressive and very tough to do. Um, you know, you're, you're often on Twitter, you're often on social media, you know, sort of just, uh, you know, posting things, breaking news, things like that. Um, how, and how like early on did you realize that was going to be important and, and how, uh, you know, are you surprised to see how many followers you have now? Were you sort of expecting this yeah it's interesting i mean i guess the way i use twitter and the way i still use twitter and i, and I get it time to time i have like you know you know fans that come up to me and to say hey you know you're one of the best followers on twitter and i'm i'm humbly appreciative of comments like that the way i look at my twitter feed is i try and you know in mma we have a news cycle where there's tons of news on a daily basis which is a good thing right mm -hmm. What I try and do is I try and cut through all the white noise and just be very selective and pick out stories um, or repurpose content from a Facebook page or, or an Instagram post that I feel, A, is interesting to me, uh, B, I think would be interesting and of value to people that follow me, and then finally C, um, what I think would get high engagement numbers, you know? Um, and so it's just metrics really. And like over the course of the last three or four years, uh, what I try, and here's the other thing, being a European based reporter, I've got to get creative. I'm not going to be at a UFC event every week. I may not be at a UFC event every month and even work in the European circuit. I may not cover a few European shows. So when you start to think about how many events I'm going to actually be on the ground for, it may just be in a calendar year, three, maybe four, maybe if I'm lucky five. So in between all that, how much value can you add as a member of the media? And I think, you know, providing a, um, a really solid feed on Twitter, interacting on Twitter, uh, and not just Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. I mean, I haven't ventured too much into Instagram. and Facebook. I, I really, really love Twitter. I'm not so much of a fan of Facebook. Um, I had to create a Facebook page recently only because I started working for MMA India and they, they were insistent that I created a Facebook page because apparently Facebook in India is bigger than I ever imagined it would be. And in terms of Instagram, I know a lot of reporters have turned their own personal Instagram feed into almost like a, a daily news feed. But for me, I like Instagram just as a collection of my memories as I kind of, you know, travel through life and I have like, you know, visit awesome cities or have some unique experiences. I want that to be my catalog of my experiences. Um, so I've kind of focused all my efforts and energies um, into Twitter. And it's great because, listen, if you can create a Twitter following, 
and you have a loyal um, a, a loyal following of folks that are going to be checking your feed um, every single day. What that means is, again, as a domino effect, is if you're then producing content that you are providing them, that there's a higher chance of that content getting higher engagement numbers, right? So it's, yeah. it's all just building an audience for your content eventually, but to build and engage with that audience outside of the content that you're going to hit them with every once in a while. And what's it like, you know, I saw the other, I mean, I won't say this a couple months ago. I saw Jimmy Manuel like tweet at you being like, you do, you do a great job. You're my favorite guy to follow. Like when you hear stuff like that, is that, do you sort of take that in like at all? Or is it just like, Hey, you know, I'm just, I guess I'm doing something right. Like it must be pretty neat to, to have the, you know, response like that from people on social media. Yeah, look, it's great. I mean, look at the end of the day, James, every, everyone that works in the MMA media, I'm sure like 90 Eight, 99% of us are working long hours, working very hard, not getting paid what we want to get paid. Um, so to kind of get any kind of gratitude, whether it's from fans, uh, fellow members of the media, um, fighters, hey, listen, you know, there's been some folks behind the scenes at promotions that have, you know, I've had private conversations with that told me, you know, how valuable they find what I'm doing. And, and it's great. It's, it's a bit of a confidence booster. Um, it, it lets you know that you're on the right track, but at the same time, just be humble about it. You know, keep, keep uh, your, your, your eye on the prize and, you know, keep doing what got you to the dance in the first place, so to speak. Um, and don't change. Um, and that's the way I kind of look at things. I, I don't let any of the, uh, the, the positive you know, comments get to my head just as much as I, I wouldn't let anything negative um, get to me either. I've got some thick skin in that department too. Do you find it difficult? I know this is something we all face as journalists, um, walking that line between, you know, being professional and being, you know, because there's certain fighters we get along with better than others. I, if there's one I can name for you, I know Makwan Amirakani is someone that you, for whatever reason, he gets really good stuff. You get really good stuff out of him. He seems to trust you. And I know when he does his interviews, you know, he really does uh, good content. I'd say the same thing with like a Michael Page. Like, do you struggle at all with that, with trying to, you know, be a reporter, but also be, you know, kind of the guy that everyone likes? Uh, no, not really. I just try to be completely down, you know, down the road and down the middle and professional about everything. I think with guys like Maquan, like when you when you cover fighters before they get to the UFC, and I know that you're doing a hell of a lot of work right now with so many prospects in the game that haven't perhaps got to the better tour stage or got to the UFC stage yet. And I think two, three, four, maybe five years down the road, you know that's where the value of this early content and establishing these early relationships is really going to start to, um, you know, uh, provide you with some awesome opportunities because what if you are right now interviewing the next Conor McGregor or the next Ronda Rousey, and there's that level of respect that the fire has for you because you've been covering their career from, from, from the amateur career or something like that. Right. So yeah. That's pretty cool. Look, uh, uh, here's my example. And this is something that I kind of shared with a colleague of mine not too long ago. Um, Arjun Buller, right? The only fighter in the UFC of Indian descent I report for, or one of the outlets that I work for is MMAIndia.com. I'm also of Indian descent, right? Yeah. I remember having a conversation when I first met Arjun uh, and, and it kind of um, made me respect him even more. And I said, look, let's be honest about it. If you do well in the UFC, as a knock-on effect of that, it's probably going to mean me getting more opportunities to cover your events. It probably means that the outlet that I represent is going to get higher engagement numbers and potentially more ad revenue coming in, which is going to help me get to more events. And there's, a, again, you know, a knock-on effect of that. However, and I said this to him in a private conversation, I said, look, I will cover your career down the middle. If I, thought you, if I think you have a, a, a fight or a performance that sucks, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it like it is, right? I'm not going to be as crude as to say, oh, that was a, that was a, a, you know, a sucky fight or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll articulate myself in a manner of which is professional. Um, and he said, that's exactly what he wants. He doesn't want any favors. And, and I respected that. And that's the way I try to treat everybody in the game. Um, I remember, you know, me and Darren Tills, we speak on WhatsApp all the time. You know, even before this whole rush of, uh, of, of fans that are, and in the media attention that have come with regards to the Liverpool event. But I've been talking to him for a while. Um, Danny Roberts, another guy that had a big win in London. I covered his event in, in Winnipeg a few months ago where it was a bad night for him. But I've been covering his uh, fight since Cage Warriors. You know, yeah. so, so there's going to be fighters that you have a, a, maybe a, a unique relationship with. Um, but that's where you have to be responsible as a journalist, not let that cloud or, or change the way you cover them or cover the fight game. Because, A, I think it can be pretty evident and obvious um, from your audience when you are perhaps being a little bit 
um, you know, lenient or kind of, you know, favoring a fighter in a certain way. Um, but I think ultimately, you know, again, not having a, you know, a journalist degree myself, um, I want to be respected as somebody that is caused like it is down the middle, irrespective of who I'm covering. I mean, I've been you know, critical of Conor McGregor, right? At the same time, some of the content that I've been able to get because of that guy has been the best content ever. And some of the, and, and some of that, you know, some of those interviews, you know, uh, gave me a, a much bigger and better opportunity down the road, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm still going to call it like I see it. That's, that's our job. Because ultimately, whoever we're covering as fighters, if their career ends tomorrow, and they're going to go on right up into the sunset retirement, our job continues, you know, we're going to probably be covering this when we're old and gray and lose our hair as I already have. And, um, you know, this is not going to stop for us. So we got to call it like, call it, call it like you see it. How would you uh, say like, like who is sort of uh, someone that, that maybe you look to as far as how you do your broadcast style? Like if people watch my interviews and they watch your interviews, we're very different. I find you're very, you know, you're, you're more smooth and calculated. I talk really fast. That's just, but that's how I talk. I mean, you've seen me outside of, you know, when I do my reporting, I'm, I, I talk like that anyways. Is there anyone you've sort of modeled yourself after as far as a broadcaster or anyone, maybe when you were growing up that you kind of were like, Hey, I like what they're doing. Not really. Um, okay. um, I, I guess I, I do have a background in drama and theater studies. Um, and so I was never too afraid of putting myself out there in front of a, a, a live audience in, in a, in a theater production um, or in front of camera. Um, I did some kind of, uh, you know, you know, really small acting roles um, when I was younger in, in my late teens and early 20s. And trust me, when I first started doing on-camera work, I was a wreck. I see some of my old stuff and I think to myself, what the hell was that? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm so self-critical. Um, but I think it just takes reps. And the funny thing is, I still don't think I've got the number of reps that I need and that I want right now because I'm still not covering... Uh, the sport on a consistent basis right but considering the reps that I have been able to get in over the last five or six years um, I'm pretty confident that if you give me a mic and put me in front of a camera and put me in a situation where I have to interview a fighter I have the knowledge uh, and the experience uh, to be able to conduct an interview professionally um, and listen it's not not that hard introduction conduct the interview outro and that's it yeah well, and you also, I mean, I, I tell this people all the time when they go to events, you, you got to have sort of an idea of, you know, questions that you can ask just in case things get thrown out. I mean, you've been in media scrums where you have a question you're going to ask and it gets answered right before you're about to go. Uh, you got to have those backups. I, I, you know, when I go to an event, I think of at least, you know, 20 questions that I can think of off the top of my head, you know, just so I have, you know, good content to come back with. Cause sometimes in those scrums, it's very difficult to kind of, to kind of get your word in uh, kind of on that same note. Um, do you have any mentors, like anyone that you kind of bounce ideas off of in regards to your to your career in the uh, mixed martial arts industry like someone that you would talk to i'm sure you talk with abby a lot but is there anyone else that you sort of bounce ideas off of yeah john morgan uh from, okay from the, from the get i mean he, here's a guy um that has probably covered more you know uh, ufc events than anybody uh in in our in our mma community uh especially on the media side and just see how he operates this the way he has handled um, relationships with uh, PR, how he's handled himself in, in tricky situations. He's helped me get out of so many jams over the last three or four years. And it's been, a, I mean, this is my thing. It's like, I may not have um, a journalism degree, but I've been on the road with John Morgan, for, you know, plenty of times over the last three or four years. And that's my education. Um, and you can't put a price on that. So it's a little bit learning on the job. Um, but I remember early on, you know, when I made a couple of mistakes here and there, I kind of leaned on him and asked his advice. In fact, I remember asking him some advice just last week in London about something. Um, and so I still kind of lean on him here and there. So yeah, if I was going to put anybody out there as someone that I kind of look up to or someone I consider a mentor or, or someone I look to for some advice, then John Morgan's definitely that guy. What's uh, the most, uh, you know, if you could look back on your career, I know there's still plenty more to come, but is there one sort of moment for you that stands out where you're like, man, I really made it. Or, you know, I feel like, like something that maybe was an interview or, you know, an event that you covered was, is there anything in particular that really stands out to you in your career? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. The London stop of the May Mac world tour. Um, I remember that the tour had been from, had been from LA to Toronto and New York. So three out of the four legs were in North America. MMA Junkie, uh, you know, Kenny and, and John, they had covered all of those events. 
and then they passed on the baton to me and Abby to close the show in London. And so we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to make sure that we deliver. And so when that day came around, again, through some kind of experience that I'd attained up until that moment, and it's kind of like looking at the landscape of behind the scenes of how everybody was being positioned, I was fortunate enough with my relationships and the way I was able to position ourselves to get a slot backstage in between Sky Sports and ITV Sport. So it was Sky Sports, MMA Junkie and ITV, ITV Sport. That whole area was roped off. And then there was like 40 other videographers that had to just cr you know, scrunch up together and cram in to, to throw a question to Connor or to Dana or to Floyd. So to get one-on-ones with Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor, Dana White, Leonard Ellaby, Steven Espinosa, and then even after everything had wrapped up, to get George Lockhart, to get Audio Tar, you know, that was 100% um, the highlight of my career. And me and Abby talk about it all the time because it just proved that when we're put in a situation where we are really expected to deliver, we can deliver. Uh, and that was a prime example of that. That was crazy for me too. We, I was at the Toronto leg and I've never, you know, I've been to, you know, international fight week. I was at UFC 196 with McGregor. Like I've been to some big events, but nothing uh, like media wise compares to the Maymac tour, just the, the sheer amount of media that was there. And of course, you know, this, like, I don't know how it was in London, but like, you know, they do that red carpet thing where they walk by and you got to get like two seconds in. Well, guess who I'm next to on the red carpet? Take a wild guess. Ariel Hawani. You think I'm going to get any questions in? Like I got a little bit in and again, like I probably could have been a bit more aggressive, but I'm next to the goat. You know, I got to like, you know, there's, there's a, there's a bit of, you know, respect and professionalism there. I did get a couple things in, but uh, man, I've never seen a media turnout like that for anything. And uh, it was so much fun. I mean, I did end up getting a few things, but it's just nothing like what I've ever experienced. And uh, yeah, that was, that was something else. I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that again to that magnitude. It was, it was crazy. So well, maybe, uh, maybe if uh, Anthony Joshua fights Brock Lesnar in the... Office, yeah, who knows? I know. We're seeing, we're seeing the reports on that. Um, we've got a couple minutes left here on the show. I always sort of like to close things out with, uh, you know, advice. Because, you know, the main reason I do this show is to, you know, help people out there that, that might be starting out or maybe they're in, in the industry and they want, you know, to understand what happens behind the scenes. Um, what sort of some advice you'd want to leave here on this episode that you can give to people maybe watching this that are either starting out or maybe looking to make that leap to, you know, something bigger? What, what sort of some good advice you could give? Yeah, I actually get emails all the time. Uh, my email is on my Twitter profile and I, and I get people hitting me up asking me for advice all the time. And sometimes they're students or they're thinking about starting a journalist, uh, a degree in journalism. My advice, if, if you're young enough and you can afford um, to actually go to university and you want to become a journalist, you know what? Do the degree. I, I think mm -hmm. having a foundation, um, learning uh, over a three-year period, um, you know, you're going to get a really good foundation there. I don't have that uh, foundation. You know, I started... Uh, covering MMA as a member of the media in my late 20s, you know, so I had to use, you know, other life experience and skill sets that I'd attained from other you know, parts of my life. Um, and then I had to also learn on the job, um, um, as I mentioned earlier on. But here's some here's some things that I tend to say to folks that reach out to me is I the best advice I was given. And it's the same piece of advice I would give to anybody else is think like a fan, but act like a pro. We all got into MMA, becoming a member of the MMA media is because we were fans once and we are still fans of the sport. So don't ever lose that. Don't ever forget that. Keep that with you because once you lose that, then it, I think sometimes it can just feel like a job. And you never, you never want this just to feel like a job. You want it to always be fun and exciting, right? So think like a fan, but again, act like a pro. Think about how you conduct yourself you know, um, you know, behind the scenes or, or on social media. Um, what are you trying to gain? out of what you're putting out there and, and how are you articulating your feelings and your emotions and your opinions, you know, um, be aware of who's watching, you know, this community is pretty, you know, tight knit and small and everyone's watching everybody else. Um, so think about, you know, who, uh, is there a potential future employer watching me right now and how I conduct myself. So be wary of that. But also I would say, try and be as, and again, it's, it's, it's easier said than done, but try and be unique as you can be. Uh, I know some people want to try and do everything. They want to write and do a show, uh, audio podcast, video content, social media, um, you know. But then again, you know, a lot of folks have found success being very, very good at one particular thing, right? Um, another thing, you know, I've seen a lot of uh, people have success in is actually picking a very specific part 
of our sport. So whether it be the regulatory side of the sport, whether it be just the, the women's side of the sport, you know, um, maybe it's just a particular region of the world, whether it's Brazil or whether it's India or Asia or just a British and UK Irish scene, right? I've seen people have genuine success in, in very you know, niche categories of this sport itself. Um, and then just set yourself some goals, be realistic with your goals. Um, I always at the start of my year um, have some goals. I don't write them down, so to speak, but I have them up here in, term, in terms of where I wanna be by the end of the year. And then what I try and do is be very reflective at the end of the year, I kind of look back and as long as I can say at the end of every year, I'm in a better situation, I'm in a better spot, I did better work this year than I did the previous 12 months, that's all I care about. And if that leads to opportunities and it leads to you know me being at more events and having another genuine form of revenue covering the sport, then you know that's great. But bear in mind, you know, a lot of folks that get into covering the sport or becoming members of the media, long hours, it's a graft, not much money um if at all um so be very very wary of that if you're if you're pinning all your hopes and dreams on this being your sole uh, base and your sole foundation of revenue is covering mma it's a it's a tough ask it's a very very tough ask so think about what your form of revenue is going to be how you're going to pay your bills um and uh, and have that support system financially uh, before you start thinking about you know putting all your eggs into one basket and just covering mma yeah, no, a lot of really great points there. Um, and actually, you just reminded me of something. Uh, I am going to ask you one more thing before we go here. How has it been covering the sport, but also having a wife and having to balance that? Because I'm sure, like me, there's a lot of negotiating as far as uh, you know, going to events and uh, you know, spending a lot of time doing interviews and things like that. Yeah, so being at events isn't hasn't ever been the tricky part because again, I've only been at a handful, you know, a hand you know, full of events uh, a year. Um, and thankfully, you know, uh, she already kind of had experience with me, you know, with my day job. I, I travel a lot anyway. It's it's the Saturday nights. Again, being a European based reporter, most of my Saturday nights don't end until six o'clock Sunday morning. Right. right? So that's a, that's a, a prime part of your weekend gone where you perhaps can't go out for dinner or, you know, go out, you know, in, in town and, and do something. Now, thankfully, because the road has always led to moving to Toronto, those days are almost coming to, a, to an end. But my wife's actually a big fan of MMA. Uh, so that made things a lot easier for me. Very supportive, very understanding. Um, and yeah, I guess just, you know, have, you know be, 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 I suppose, you know, fair uh, to your other half or to your partner. Um, but make sure they're on board with the journey that you're going to take. Because again, it's a lot of hours. Uh, some of it is a lot of unsociable hours. Um, and a lot of time that you're going to be taking away. And normally on a Sunday, I'm a wreck. You know, I'm, I'm born to sleep at six o'clock in the morning. My whole sleeping pattern's out of whack. Uh, so even to spend a Sunday with her, sometimes she's not getting the absolute best of me. Um, right. But I, I try and be as fair as uh, I can be with her. Uh, and of course, I want to spend time with her as well. And like, I hate the fact that covering the sport has meant so many years, um, me staying up until six, seven o'clock in the morning, which is again, why I can't wait to move to Toronto because I can finally, you know, um, you know, if I'm covering an event, it can end at say 12 o'clock or one o'clock in the morning or something like that. I can get a decent amount of sleep and still be good to go for a full Sunday, you know? So, yeah. um, so yeah, I guess just be, be fair, be understanding, have a conversation, make sure both of you are, are on board with this journey that you're about to undertake. Cause, uh, um, it, it, it is asking a lot of you, especially time. So what's next for you? What, 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 uh, what events is uh, lined up that you're going to next? One of the biggest, one of the biggest weeks in UK MMA history. Uh, Bellator 200 uh, is taking place on Friday, the 25th of May, and then literally 48 hours later is going to be UFC Fight Night Liverpool, uh, which again everyone is expecting to be uh, the second coming of that Dublin show in 2014. So we're really, really excited about covering that from a from a media perspective, from a fan perspective, and just seeing what kind of fights um, we end up getting on that card and who that main event is going to be. Um, but Bellator 200, a marquee show, a marquee event with some great fights. Um, so yeah, that's going to be my next kind of couple of events that I'm going to be covering uh, at the end of May. And just remind people, Chenna Makar, where can people uh, find you on social media? Anything else you got to plug? Any work you got going on? By all means, the floor is yours. And uh, also, thanks so much for joining me. I, I know I'm keeping you away from work, so uh, thanks for the time. You got it. No worries. So listen, uh, I've now aligned all of my social media platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it's all at Sandu MMA. So it's just my surname, Sandu, um, and then MMA. And that's how you can find me.
You guys can follow me on Twitter at Lynch on Sports. I do enough work that I don't want to keep the, our guest here even longer. We'd be here all day. But uh, tune in next week to the MMA Industry Podcast. And thanks, everyone, for watching. We'll see you next week. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.